And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Starkville is now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you will find great baseball talk all week long and all postseason long. We're normally here first thing Tuesday mornings, but it's the postseason, so it might have to be Tuesday afternoons. I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, Distinguished former major leaguer Doug Lanville. Doug, yeah. I, I, we need to talk about October. Yes. Have I ever told you what we call October in my world? I think I have, right? Yes. Uh, it involves like yeah. sleep deprivation somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. National Sleep Deprivation <laughs> Month. So, what's your theory on why that would be? Um, besides traveling time zones uh, and writing columns into the wee hours, you probably don't get a whole lot of sleep. <laughs> It's like you're newborn. You know, it's like a newborn. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're one perceptive man. I, I'm literally writing all night. Uh, you know, especially it's division series week. It's been wild. Uh, I, I watch baseball games for 12 hours a day. Okay. I then write columns until 2.30, 3, 3.30 in the morning. I apologize to all my editors. Uh, then I get up the next day and I do that again. Uh, you don't even want to know how little sleep I got last night. Uh, just so we could keep this Starkville Express train rolling. But at the very least, I'm hoping that I've at least earned your heartfelt admiration and gratitude for that. Oh, absolutely. And, and you think of it as having a newborn every year. I think that's magical. You have like how many? <laughs> every night. You have like 43 <laughs> kids right now each, each year. Yeah, I, I, that's my that's my sad story. It's actually great fun. Uh, Doug, tell us about your schedule in October. I know our friends in Bristol keep you busy too. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have to travel. So, um, you know, that definitely saves me for, from some level. But what I'm doing is I'm burning a lot of candles, maybe on three ends if there's such thing. I don't know what that would be <laughs> called, but let's invent it. I have, um, so I'm, I'm teaching my course, as you mentioned, at UConn. So that's Tuesday, Thursday. So I was, you know, wake up really early, drive out the stores, have my class today, do the podcast, and then I go to ESPN at night. <laughs> so I'll be going till like one, you know, one in the morning there uh, every day this week. So 
I mean, good problem to have, no complaints, but it, it's, you know, I'm not sure what sleep has to do with any of that, actually, somewhere <laughs> in there. And I'm working on, a, you know, a column right now that's uh, taken up a, a lot of time. I think it's going to be um, impactful that we're trying to drop t- tomorrow, which would be Wednesday. So, yeah, it's it's all good, stuff I love. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, probably will fall asleep on top of this microphone after the podcast. Yeah, I, I can easily pass out during this show myself. <laughs> I, you know, my, my favorite expression about my job is this. It's a labor of love, but it's a good thing because there's a lot of labor. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, that applies right now. Uh, in a few minutes, we'll chat with our friend and colleague at The Athletic, Evan Drellick, not just about this postseason, but about the book. He's writing about the Astros. Uh, that's a team he once covered. Uh, and all the shadows that the cheating scandal continues to cast and on, uh, on that team and on this whole postseason. But uh, first... There's a couple things that we have to get to. First question, Doug, is the postseason fair? You know, we asked that question last week, but now some time has passed. The 100-win Rays, they're out. The Yankees, the Cardinals, they're out. As we're recording this, the 106-win Dodgers, the 95-win Brewers, they're in big trouble. So now that we've seen how this played out, let me ask you a question that we actually asked our listeners last week. Um, if it's not fair to these teams to be in this particular system, what should baseball do about it? And let me just mention that one of the correct answers could be nothing. <laughs> well, I think the premise is tough because sometimes we're, we're sort of retroactively looking at it, right? We see the outcomes and we think, well, who should win? And I think that's always risky because that's kind of what we love about baseball, right? The underdog, the stories, the sort of nuances that give a team an advantage, the bad bounces, whatever it is. So I think that's that's part of the challenge. I think if we come out of it saying, wow, wow, as the system was constructed, it highly disadvantages teams that should have an advantage or should have gotten some credit because of a great season, then I think that's where you start having the problem. That That's probably my issue with, say, a wild card system, right? This one game where someone that just happens to have, like, Jacob deGrom and, like, look, you don't want to play the Mets with Jacob deGrom on the mound. I don't care if the Mets are, like, 40 and 120. I mean, they have good once DeGrom's on the mound, you might as well be facing the best team in baseball. So that's that's sort of the reality of baseball. And I think series are, are a big part of it. It's just too much woven into what makes you a good team about looking at not just one game, but three or four groups of games. And, you know, and I, you know, so that that's sort of what I think is one thing that could happen. I understand why the wild card exists. I understand the the economic value and the excitement, but that you know the entertainment so, value. Right. And you know, so but yeah, if you were the Let's say, you know, in this case, if you're, you're you're the Dodgers and you play the Cardinals who, you know, got in with a great run at the end of the season, yeah, you're sort of like, well, we won 106 games. So, you know, but I, I think you're always going to have some challenge. I, I, I don't know. They, they ended up winning, <laughs> so they, they got to the next round. and But facing the Giants with 107 wins in the DS creates another right. question too. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. Now, we asked our listeners – to email us with their ideas uh, that that was at starkvilleattheathletic.com if you would like to join in. Uh, I want to thank everyone who replied. We uh, appreciate your interest. Uh, we don't have time to read everybody's ideas. Uh, I, I wanted to present what I thought was the best proposal that we got. Uh, it came from Brandon Demsack. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Brandon describes himself as an East Coast Giants fan. 
And here was his plan. Now, he was leaping ahead to what has been reported is probably at the top of baseball's list for next year, which would be the playoffs expand seven teams in each league. Top team in each league gets a bye into the divisional round, don't have to deal with a wild card round. Then what he would do is basically what they did last year. Uh, the division champs and the top wild card team get home field for that entire round, mm-hmm. three games. Um, now, once we get through that round, he proposes all the teams that are left should get reseeded. That uh, would clearly be based on their record in the regular season. And that way, you don't have a 107-win team playing a 106-win team in this round. Uh, that should really be the league championship series. It's just like at Wimbledon, you, you do not want Federer and Djokovic playing in the semis, okay? You definitely don't want them playing in the round of eight. That's a final kind of matchup. So uh, that was his idea. Um, he thinks that it would provide enough incentive for teams to still try to finish first um, because it would give them home field advantage in that first round. And he would not allow any wildcard team, no matter how many wins they had, to have home field in any round. So I, I, I kind of like it. Doug, what do you think? You know, what I like about it is this, and I think because of just having this whole career of 162 game, a thousand plus games, and that type of grind and what you're, you know, going after. I just think there is something valuable to continue to remind people of how incredible a season you had. Like, I think the, the work you did for 162 games should follow you. It should follow you. Just like you got home field advantage in the World Series. Well, it should, it should, it should sustain because that is, uh, that's, that's a lot of bait. That's a lot of games. There's no other sport like it. You've, you've settled a lot of scores after 162 games. And I think those teams do deserve um, certain advantages that have been more successful than others without giving, you know, just without handing them something. So that, that's sort of the spirit of what I'm looking for. I like series and I like the fact that the teams that had these incredible seasons should be rewarded. My problem last season in 2020, as much as I love Dusty Baker, Craig Council, uh, you know, they, these are under 500 teams that got to the postseason. And I understand why, but I, that, that just doesn't, you know, you've had 162 games to be better, to win more games and lose more games. You know, I just feel like that, that was a lot for me. You know, I, I think that that was below the cutoff. But um, so, yeah, I think in the system, as long as you're recognizing what that season meant and it should have meaning, not only just winning the division and getting those advantages, but also being better than the next team that won five less than you, then I think I think we're on to something. And home field is a is a pretty good way to do that, certainly, uh, for sure. Yeah, I think we should keep thinking about this and talking about this all month long. Um, yep. So if you're listening to this and you have some brilliant ideas, uh, feel free to keep emailing us at Starkville at theathletic.com. Uh, all right, one more thing, Doug, before we bring in Evan Drellick. This was Sunday night at Fenway Park. We saw one of the weirdest postseason plays ever. Uh, you texted me like crazy when this was going on. Uh, let, let's just listen to what it sounded like, and we'll go from there. Yes, runs. Kiermaier sends a ball into right center field. That's trouble. And that one's off the base of the wall. 
Diaz coming around to score. Kiermaier to third. The Rays have taken the lead. They're saying that's going to be a double. They're going to take the, a look. At the, that hit the top of the wall and go over. But starting the runner was the only chance you were going to score playing no doubles. This ball hits. It hits before the wall, down, and hits the minute. right Wait. fielder and goes over the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was hard to figure out what that was. Uh, Matt Vaskirgin and John Smoltz trying to sort it out on MLB Network. Uh, so the second that ball bounced off Hunter Renfro and landed in the bullpen, I started getting texts from a subset of the population I could best describe as everybody. <laughs> that, that included you. Uh, your text, if I remember right, included the word outrageous. Now, you played the outfield for nine seasons in the big leagues. Uh, you actually played the outfield in that very portion of Fenway Park. I, I honestly can't wait to hear your thoughts on that play. So, yeah, I think... The reason I kind of got to this outrageous level is mostly because I'm working backwards. And there is a difference when you work backwards than work forward. So I understand it's sort of like what we just talked about in the playoffs. You say, oh, well, who should win? And then going backwards. So I know there's flaws to that. But my issue with that play is that you're rewarding a mistake. You're rewarding an error. And that leads to something that actually takes away from if, if you actually played it well. If, if Hunter Renfro played that ball right or, or just well and backed up and ricocheted and fielded it, the Rays score a run and Kiermaier, you know, very least a double. So, so what ends up happening is because he completely botched the play and overran it and bumps into the ball, he knocks it over the fence and actually rewards him by putting Yandy Diaz back on third base. So, so to me, I know it's a lot of emphasis on the fielder. But that's the issue. There, there was some semblance of control or judgment on Renfro that actually benefited him by how he misplayed that ball completely. <laughs> so, so that's my issue with it. You know, I always think of Tom Murray, uh, you know, great ethicist that uh, friends with over the years, and he says, "You reward what you value." And so, if you're rewarding someone who actually completely botched the play, then you're sort of valuing something by taking something away from the other team through no fault of their own. So that's like the backwards. And so do I understand why that is? Yes. Like, let's say I jump up for a ball, really great play, it ricochets off the wall and knock it over the fence unintentionally. I get it. I didn't try to, it's not like he slapped it over on purpose. Or, you know, Larry Walker goes and hands the ball to the fan thinking there's three outs and there's two. Okay, I mean, there are mistakes, you know. So I, I, I understand it. But I think there's, the judgment side of it, which of course is a slippery slope, I concede that, has to say Diaz Diaz walks home on that ball. I mean, walks home. It's it's completely unfair. And uh, and there's actually a play where Tommy Pham a couple years ago on a ball down the line, first and second, tried to scoop the ball up on a. It was like bouncing down the line, and he's literally slapped it into the stands. And and he was playing for the Rays. Playing by for the Rays, and, and mentioned right. And Kevin Cash came out to make the argument. That's why I think Cash was very kind of low key about it. So um, so I think this is one of those. If you look at it backwards, you start to look at how you know someone makes a mistake, and it actually helps their team. And I think the concern is that creates kind of incentive, <laughs> uh, even if it's unintentional. Now, see, here's your problem, Doug. You're thinking about this way too logically. <laughs> this is baseball. 
What does logic have to do with it? Uh, you know, the umpires, they invoked the rule exactly as it was written in the rule book. Uh, yeah. I, I, I want to give Sam Holbrook, the crew chief, credit. Uh, he went to the interview room afterwards. Doesn't always happen. Yes. Uh, he had the wording of both the exact rule and the explanation of the rule in the umpire's manual with him. So it was obvious. They applied the rule as written. Yes, they did. What they were not allowed to ask, but we're allowed to ask is, how does that rule make any sense? Uh, it was probably written in, what, 1882? <laughs> you know, we have we now have this thing called technology that tells us exactly where the runners were when the ball caromed off the fielder and landed out of play. And when the runner is literally <laughs> one foot from third base when that happens, how does it make sense to say he only would have advanced another 12 inches? <laughs> no, no, that is not sensible. Um, am I right? You're completely right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, okay, have, so, yeah, you have the technology. And, and this is, you know, how the revolution of analytics and, and the awareness that's out there for all of us to digest, not just experts, it's right there, right there in front of you. Right. It, it seems to me that it, it's now very easy to say the runner gets what? Two bases from the base he had last crossed when the ball went out of play or something along those lines. Like they can figure out the wording. Sure. Um, there's been a lot of blowback to people like us. Uh, Ken Rosenthal wrote this column suggesting uh, that the rule should be rewritten because um, I know it obviously very rarely happens. Uh, people think we're overreacting. But this this is how it always works. <laughs> you have a play. It exposes this ridiculous flaw in a really old rule. So what do you do? You modernize the rule. Am I allowed to say this? We are not messing with the Bill of Rights here or the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's a rule in the baseball rule book. It was not handed down on a stone tablet to Moses. Well, rules can be added. Rules can be subtracted. Rules can be rewritten. This is known as the evolution of the humankind species. Yes, I, I hear you. And, and I, I think... People get concerned, understandably, with the word judgment. I think that's where it, that's what. So I think you try to minimize that. You know, like JD Martinez is running on a bad ankle. Okay, you know, you start to, and he's halfway to third. What do you do, right? That whole thing. So I understand that, and I think that that's some of the challenges on instant replay, where you say, well, he would have tagged up, and he would have been at third. It's tough. It's tough. But I think in this case, I like how you framed it. When it went out of play, you can freeze a moment. And make some some sort of decision off of that, and uh, and I think that's just what you should try to adapt because, I mean, that just was a disaster. And now big walk off home run by Christian Vasquez, credit the the Red Sox, but uh, I think they, they took away a run from the Rays that was going to score absolutely uncontested. Right. Just one more reason that we should be in charge is a sentence that you'll never hear Rob Manfred say. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Yeah, you know, Doug, it's hard during the postseason to find just the right guest for just the right moment in October time. But I believe we have done it because our friend, our colleague from the athletic, Evan Drellick, is here. So, Evan, welcome back to Starkville. Jason, Doug, what's up? All right. <laughs> Who the heck knows what's up? <laughs> We're down. What's down? What's up? <laughs> I, I can't even answer those questions, but I, I can answer this question. You know why Evan is the perfect guest? Uh-oh. Uh, the Astros are once again a topic, and Evan once covered the Astros for the Houston Chronicle. Evan and Ken Rosenthal did groundbreaking reporting on that Astros cheating scandal for The Athletic. And Evan is now in the process of finishing up a book on the Astros. And then I'm not even done. <laughs> Plus, Alex Cora and the Red Sox just eliminated the Rays in a fantastic series, by the way. So the Red Sox are moving on to the ALCS. Guess what other team Evan used to cover for the Boston Herald? <laughs> that would be the Red Sox. So, Evan, what do you think? Does it feel like this show and this postseason – are you in your wheelhouse or what? Yeah, I don't usually do game covers these days, but I told our dear editor, national MLB editor at The Athletic, Emma Spann, that you know if it's the Astros and the Red Sox, I think we got to get me out there. I, I at least know what I'm talking about a little bit more than I normally do, which isn't a lot, right? I, I, but a little bit more than normal, I do. Yeah, yeah. This is the this could be the Evan Drellick ALCS, and you know, people listening to this will already know if it is. Uh, full disclosure, we don't know because we had to record this before game four of the Astros and White Sox. So maybe the Astros are already moving on. Maybe they're just getting on a plane to play game five in Houston on Wednesday. We don't know these things, but we do, we do know, Evan, that you have written a book on the Astros or you're in the process of writing that book. What can you tell us about where this book is going? It's really a look at the management culture 
of the team in the last 10 years. So reverse engineering, we know the ending, basically. We, we know where it ends up with sign stealing and the punishments. How did we get there? And it's a long journey going back to when Jim Crane takes over the team, Jeff Luno's prior career uh, to baseball. And, you know, what did those two create in Houston? And it's a layered thing. It's, you know, it's not really black and white. It's not as simple as Astros bad, Astros good. I think it leans more one direction than the other. Uh, but, you know, there was this whole genre for a time of, of sports bo- books and baseball books that were kind of in the same mold of, well, a team won and they're smart. And let's talk about how damn smart they are. <laughs> and so my book is is some of that, but it's also what else comes along with it? What else comes along with what the Astros were doing? What were they doing and what were the costs and effects of it? And I think it's a look at it front office that hasn't really been done uh, before or at least not frequently. Wow. All right. Well, we're, we're going to pick apart all of that as we go along here. Um, but let, uh, we should start with this. Uh, once again, this week, all of the Astros shtick became a huge topic again uh, because Ryan Tapera, who's a reliever for the White Sox, uh, went to the interview room after Sunday's game, and he said that the Astros still have a reputation for doing, these were his words, sketchy stuff. <laughs> and he, he talked about the difference in the swings that their hitters got in Chicago versus Houston uh, being some sort of evidence that they're still doing something or other. Uh, there's nobody better to ask about those remarks than you. What, what did you make of them? I took it to be the cost of doing what the Astros did. Once you have cheated, you've planted the idea in everyone's minds and in, in the onlookers that you're capable of doing this as a franchise. And there's not that many members of the 2017 Astros who are left. We know that, but that's the cost. It doesn't surprise me that teams sit there and, and, you know, you guys can tell me without leveling an allegation toward any specific team. When I watch baseball nowadays, as kind of a casualty of having covered the sign stealing scandals so much. And also I think a a casualty of growing up in the nineties as in the, watching the PED, PED era unfold, you know, I, I, you sit there and you, and you just wonder about what you're watching sometimes. At least I do. I, I don't want to speak for anybody else. Um, and I'm not saying that about the Astros of 2021 specifically. I'm just saying in general that I have reached a point where I am a little bit more skeptical of what I'm seeing across the board. Uh, and so it doesn't surprise me that Tapera would say that. And I'm not saying it's fair to the Astros that that the to the 2021 group that they should have to deal with that accusation. But you knew it was coming. You knew that people were going to sit there and be skeptical of it. And so it's it's not surprising at the very least. But you just touched on this. It's now four years since 2017. And it still feels like baseball fans in all cities not named Houston have the same opinion of the Astros that Ryan Tapera obviously has, that, that they never stopped, that they're still doing it. And that's even though right, the architects of that 2017 team are gone, the manager, A.J. Hinch, is gone, all but five of the players are gone from this roster. So are people entitled to believe that, why can't people look at this group differently than that group? 
Well, look, I, from a reporting standpoint, right, journalistically, you have to have evidence of things. Right? So fans going out there and saying, well, I think they're doing it. I mean, it's silly, right? It, it, like, so let, let me be a little dismissive of it as well, uh, that you shouldn't just believe because somebody on Twitter is saying, I think they're doing it, or even because somebody across the way is saying it. And this was something that came up a lot in the reporting that Ken and I did. And I think the reporting you've seen elsewhere, there's always been a ton of people leveling allegation. What I'm proud of amongst several things, but what, what, one of the things I'm proud of with the Astros and Red Sox reporting is that it was firsthand sources. It was people who knew who had lived it. Uh, and, and there's a big difference between that and a guy across the way going, you know what? I think they were doing something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I mean, you could, but you had people say that about everybody and anybody. Uh, and so to me, it just kind of enters like a chasm of that same type of noise. that has been around for a long time. Uh, it, it doesn't register to me powerfully because it's not, it, it's not somebody saying, yeah, actually this did happen. And I know it happened because I lived it and I will tell you how we did it. It's a very different type of thing. So I guess I don't know if I'm directly answering your question, but I would take it with a bit of grain of salt when you hear a guy cross the way saying it doesn't mean it's not news. doesn't mean you don't discuss it, but it's not a credible uh, proof of something happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel you have an, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult, but that is sort of the consequence of these choices, right. Of these teams make. And I was in the heart of the PD era yeah. And, you know, to this day, you know, we're talking about four years from the sign stealing. We're still dealing with the fact that there's questions about the authenticity of these players and that so there's questions about what, what other sort of newfangled thing is going to come up that allows them to enhance performance. I think the nature of the competitive environment pushes itself for people to push to the envelope. And so I think it's a matter of <clears throat> the fact, you know, that it's clear that this is where it will go kind of left unchecked or just left in the competitive landscape, people are going to try to find edges and edges start to lead to borderline X, Y, and Z. So I'm curious about how much you feel that someone like Dusty Baker coming in, you know, it's one thing that some of the players have been siphoned off some, you know, AJ Hinch, you know, people, uh, you know, were removed, fired, et cetera. But I'm curious in your, in your research, how much did you attribute to leadership and how much of a difference does it make that you see this new voice in 2021 in Dusty Baker? Certainly a good amount of the, of the failures of the Red Sox, of, of the Astros, if not all of them, um, were in leadership, right? Both in the front office and in the dugout, in, in Jeff Luno and A.J. Hinch's ability to maintain control in the organization and in different ways. Jeff Luno was a very, very poor communicator. That's not to say he could not, uh, at times, deliver ideas brilliantly and poignantly, and and hold a conversation that would left you leave you walking away going, "Wow, that guy's really damn smart," because he was really damn smart. But if the question is what kind of environment did he foster, uh, the answers start to turn a lot more negative in many different ways. And so, you know, what the Astros lacked in a lot of facets was was a human element. Um, they got rid of a lot of wisdom over the time. Uh, it was a small insular group in the front office. And you're speaking and, to like scouting, right? Like how they got rid of a lot of the scouting, you know, the system. Scouting uh, across the board. Uh, 
baseball operations, if you look at the makeup of the group of baseball ops, uh, over time, the group gets smaller and it's made up largely of people who had not had either had not had jobs in baseball before or uh, had really not been had prominent jobs in baseball before. So, you know, it's this kind of group of band of outsiders, which is in itself not a bad thing. Uh, But the way it evolved where they, you know, in the middle of the 2017 season, the middle of this great Astros season, they bring in the management consultant firm, McKinsey and Company, to evaluate baseball operations. You have your you have your manager and your coaches sitting down during the season with McKinsey and Company. It's as bizarre a scene in baseball as I think you will find, and <laughs> it's it's just a little slice of how willing the Astros were to be different. Uh, but w- when you're so convinced of your own self righteousness and uh, the need to bulldoze norms and standards in an industry. Well, who's going to sit there and tell you when you've pushed one envelope too far, when you've, when you've taken that one step beyond where you need to go. And so you know, Dusty Baker, I think it's, it's well known and, and accepted that his relational skills are very good. AJ Hinches were, were good too. He, he was certainly a people person, although he wasn't able to put his foot down when he needed to. Uh, but Bringing in Baker, I think, served to patch up in part one of the largest holes they had. Um, not blaming Hinch, but but just you know, Jeff Luno in that front office did not have the right human touch. Well, you know, Dusty has this ability to to walk into a room, and it's he, it's hard to be mad at Dusty. Like you could disagree with taking out his pitcher in the middle of an at bat, like that kind of thing. But yeah. the way he conducts himself is different. Uh, and so, all right, the Ryan Tapera thing blows up. Uh, they get rained out. <laughs> this is this is the way our business works. There's no game. We have to fill a day's worth of story vacuum. How do we do that? With the greatest shred of leftover stuff from the day before, <laughs> which is Ryan Tapera. So yep. Dusty spends this whole session in the interview room the next day trying to swat this stuff away. So how does he do that? Of course, he quotes Eric Clapton and Bo Diddley. <laughs> you know, right. said he was listening to this Eric Clapton song with the lyric. Before you accuse me, you need to take a look at yourself. So, like, that that was the dusty cool factor. I appreciate that. But he does raise an issue that people really don't want to contemplate, which is this idea that we know the Astros did bad stuff. Yeah. But what we don't know is, was everyone else doing it? Like mm-hmm. we've we've danced around this now, Evan, for three years. How would you answer that question? Well, it's very easy for people, and people very often will say everyone was doing it. It's a really easy one-liner. Um, I tend to think that's not correct. Uh, in talking to people who were doing it, their belief seems to be more that it was really. When I, and I'll specify what, what I mean by it in a second. But it was really more the contending teams, powerhouse teams, Red Sox, Yankees, Astros. We know engaged. It's already printed and reported and confirmed by the commissioner's office that they were doing some form of, of electronic sign stealing, 
dating to 2015 up through 2018 for depending on which team we're talking about. Right. Um, I don't think the crappiest and least veteran teams were doing it. So like the San Diego Padres of that era, were they really like devising a scheme? No. Like if you look at the origin of this, it was veterans. It was people who had been around who were keen to study video, who already had pitch tipping skills. I mean, this was kind of like Alex core and Carlos Beltran were really good baseball minds as players. Uh, and so you had this technology come in and you're, you're able to leverage it more and teams started to, um, then when you say, well, everybody's doing it. Okay. Let's talk well, the it for the Astros <laughs> is probably at least, I, I think it's accepted by most to have been different than the it that the other teams are known to have done. Somebody could have been doing something as bad as the Astros. And, and you can also sit there and go, you know what? Any cheating is cheating. I don't care. There's, there's no level of egregiousness, but I think most people see a level of egregiousness and say this cheating is worse. And what was worse about the Astros is that it was live in real time. There was no even farce of a runner on second base. You weren't getting the signs from the video room to the runner and the runner still had to look at it. It was simply a communication entirely off the field. It had nothing to do with the field of play. Uh, and so most people take that to be worse for the Astros. No team has been shown to do that to have engaged in something like that. That doesn't mean some team wasn't doing it. You can't prove that. You know, the only way to prove it or come close to proving it would be to, to have a like subpoena power over all 30 teams. <laughs> Major League Baseball doesn't have subpoena power over all, over all 30 teams. They have, they have close to it, uh, but they don't, they don't have the federal government's power. So yeah, other teams, including the Red Sox and Yankees, use their video room to decode signs. It's really at a certain point up to the, the the reader and the viewer, the listener to decide where they rank it and how they rank it if they want to rank it. Um, but I don't think like if you're going 90 in a, in a 65 is the argument. Well, there was somebody else going 75 in a 65. You didn't pull him over. Yeah, but you were still doing 90 <laughs> in the, the 65. In a school zone. And, yeah, right. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't, it, it's a weird line of thinking If you, to me when you start to boil it down and, and really get into it, it. It's it's simply saying, well, he was doing it too. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> you still did it. Um, and so, no, I, I can't, def- nobody can definitively say what happened inside every team. Uh, we can definitively say we know what went on with the Astros, Red Sox, and Yankees, at least some of it. You, you never know what you don't know. And that's the trouble with all of this. That's the trouble with Ryan Tapera and the Astros. Now what stops anybody in this league from wearing a tiny little buzzer on their body? I'm not saying it's happening. The problem is the door to the imagination has been opened. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn sales navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Well, and, and Evan, you know, speaking of that imagination and connecting it to players, you know, what's your position or take or just understanding about this immunity concept, right? You look back and you, we listed all these people that went off to pasture, Luna O, A.J. Hinch, Beltran effectively, and some was named in the report. Um, but all of a sudden, there's this vacuum of consequence when it came to players, when it comes to players. So what, you know, what has been your understanding of that? what was necessary to get the information and how has that sort of played out now? Yeah. And this is something that that's in the book and I, I, I can't, I think I might've even written about a little bit to this point. Um, I don't think the failure, I think Rob Manford made a mistake, several mistakes. Uh, I don't think the failure was necessarily once the athletic Ken Rosenthal and I break that story and he decides to investigate. I don't think the failure was in that moment saying, I'm going to grant you immunity because He's a labor lawyer. He understands how it works. There's a, it, it, whatever, let, let's say Manfred doesn't grant immunity and tries to punish the players. There will be grievances, right, Doug? You, you, the, the union's going to defend the players. In this case, everyone I spoke to is, was quite convinced that the punishments the commissioner would have issued would have either been entirely overturned or greatly reduced. So in effect, Manfred would have stood there and said, I'm punishing you. And then he would have had no punishments or looked empty handed uh, from a PR perspective. Is that better or worse? You can debate that, you know, th- th- that, well, at least at that point, the commissioner has pushed it into uh, the union's court. So it's, it's the, you know, the union standing in our way now he, he could have tried that. Uh, but I think there is an argument that it, it would have looked worse if he had gone that route. And the reason you, you would have failed if you're the commissioner to punish. And this is what I think the core mistake was. They hadn't worked out ahead of time how this behavior would be handled, or rather, they had worked it out and made the commissioner had made clear he was going to hold the teams accountable. There, the, in a, in the prior year rules and either the eighteen or nineteen rules, it spells out specifically: I'm going to punish the GM, I'm going to punish the manager, and in like parentheses, it says everyone besides the players. It, it makes clear that 
he's going for team accountability. Uh, I think that's the mistake. The fact that he did not earlier push the players union to agree to punishments for this kind of behavior, because in labor law, you can't, when you have a union and a, and a management group, you can't just one day wake up and decide, you know what, I'm going to punish this behavior like this one day. It just doesn't work that way. And so Manfred didn't see it coming. He didn't see the mo. He didn't see how this could happen after the Apple watch scandal in 2017, what people's reactions would be if he let a team walk essentially. Uh, and I think that's because he didn't see coming that the behavior is going to continue. He find the Astros. He, I'm sorry. He find the Red Sox. He find the Yankees in 2017. I thought that was a deterrent. It wasn't. They kept going, and he wasn't prepared to handle it in a way that was going to quiet the storm. Well, he also punished the bench coach. <laughs> so let me ask you about Alex Cora. Yeah. Uh, now, you know that Doug and I both worked with Alex at ESPN. Great person, great teammate great leader, uh, saw all of that, in all our dealings with him there. Uh, we're now seeing what the Red Sox were with and without him. Uh, we have seen Alex try to express remorse, take responsibility. How do you think we should look at Alex Cora 2.0? It might even be 3.0, but we can figure that out later. Um. You know, in some way, I, I, I'm troubled or not. I don't know if trouble is the right word. It might be too strong a word. But I, I think the, you know, the, the fact that the Red Sox are winning again, what does that say about what happened? I, I think they're, they're kind of separate. You know, like no one doubted that Alex Cora was, was a talented and charismatic individual. No one doubted that, that Heim Bloom could build a Red Sox roster. He did a great job with the race just as no one doubted that the Houston Astros were, were a talented team, right? And so, you know, this, this kind of instinct that we're going to see a ton of it coming up here um, to kind of, it, it basically gets framed as a redemption story. And I understand to an extent it is, but, but let's say the Red Sox win the world series. That doesn't prove the Astros didn't cheat in 2017. It, it, you know, it, it's, um, it's a different story. It's a different, occurrence and, and set of circumstances, you know, I, I think I'll offer an observation as, as far as what has been said, what, what Cora says and what he doesn't say, uh, which is he says he is accountable. And I believe he wants to be accountable. I would challenge people to find the time that, that the statements and the explanations have gone beyond kind of that basic of, I take responsibility. Well, has it really been explained why it happened? Has it really been explained how it happened? And it's a difficult thing to do. It probably amounts to finger pointing. Uh, but even if you look at the 2018 Red Sox situation in particular, um, where you had a lesser behavior, it was just kind of, the, it, it wasn't the same as what the Red Sox are doing in 17, based on the reporting Ken and I did and based on what MLB found. Well, one guy, a guy named J.T. Watkins, got stuck with um, the brunt of it. I don't think it's unreasonable to sit there and ask, is that great leadership? Not only on behalf of Alex Gore, but on behalf of uh, the Red Sox organization. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I would caution people from taking success now to in some way 
change history. Um, and when we say someone is accountable, what do we mean by that? What, what, what do we actually say? What does accountability mean? What do you want it to look like? How deep does it run? Um, I, I want to say this about Alex, and I don't want it to come off the wrong way, but Alex is an extremely perceptive human being. Yeah. You know, he's an extremely prepared and detail-oriented. And when I watch his teams play now, just like the 2018 Red Sox, 2019 Red Sox, I, I always think they know something that nobody else knows, <laughs> you know, <laughs> somehow or other. And I like I made this observation to somebody about the Rays series. Um, the Red Sox average against the Rays this year was almost 50 points higher than the other teams they played. 50 points. And like there were times during that division series when it just felt like they knew it was coming, right? And I'm not saying that they're, they're cheating, that Alex Cora has engineered some other scheme. Please don't misunderstand that because I admire the guy and how he doesn't miss anything. But you touched on this earlier, this whole idea that perception can now be reality. Do you think people still wonder about Alex when we even mention stats like that? Yeah, I think people probably do and will. And 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 I think it, it is on, on some level unfortunate because, well, you know, can, can anyone ever move on, right? It, it, it's kind of, it's a basic question. Can you ever uh, bring yourself beyond something in your past? Um, at the same time, it, it, it is, instru- it's, it's, it's goes back to the start of the conversation. This is the cost of this kind of behavior, right? Of, of being involved with something uh, you, you open the door for people in the, in the future to question, credibility. And I, I actually haven't seen much of that outside of kind of random fans chirping, you know, uh, on Twitter, which is all Twitter is made for. Um, sorry, random fans, if I'm insulting you, but um, yeah, I, I, th- I think that the people are always going to do that. And, you know, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say on some level that sucks. And on the other level, uh, that's the, that's the penalty. So evident, is there anything that you're curious about looking forward about, you know, where the game has come through this scandal, through this experience. Do you see, you know, is there some technology on the horizon that concerns you? Is, is it, you know, sort of where do we go from here? Because as you mentioned, PDs didn't disappear, even if players stopped. It's still, once you create that doubt, then everybody gets shrouded in it. And that's the unfortunate. I mean, I played my career, obviously, without PDs and you know, I just, I have to live with that era, the association. And, you know, and, I, you know, and there's players that feel bad about that uh, or feel the consequences and the weight of that or actually did take PEDs. I mean, that's how heavy it is. So I'm curious about where you think we can go because you have PEDs, which took decades to recognize. Then you had, you know, sign stealing, took a few years, and then you have sticky substances and they reacted pretty much within that season. Uh do you see that trajectory leading to something that can inform us about what's next and just how to be better at handling this? You know, if, so for the book, I, I spoke with some um, business experts and ethics experts, and 
it's true in baseball as it's true in the outside world. People are always going to be seeking an edge. Players are always going to be seeking an edge. I think the irony to some extent is that Rob Manfred, who was you know, this veteran of the PED wars in baseball, right? Sat in front of Congress, was you know the lead lawyer designing that first drug policy. Um, it kind of s- seemed to forget and didn't think about, well, well, what would happen if we gave players newfangled video tools and we sanctioned the access to these video tools? Uh, it, it, just kind of forgetting the mindset that he was dealing with uh, there. And, you know, there is a responsibility in management. You know, people talk about headsets. And I, I, there's a, a quote somebody gave me a couple of years ago that uh, I think will end up in the book. Uh, you know, that like, if you don't think for one second, somebody will try to hack in a headset, you know, you're crazy, right? Like, so you can, you can get rid of the catcher pitcher hand signal system, but then, well, then you get somebody, you know, some hacker with a Bluetooth keyboard. And so the imagination here is limitless and people will always try to cheat. I do think that it doesn't mean that there aren't lessons to walk away from it with. And, you know, I, I think in the case of the Astros in particular, and, and over time, uh, people were really keen to kind of swallow and, and discuss front office genius without question. It, it, there was very, it, it, there was a period of time when I was covering the Astros where to question the Astros was to question the value of analytics. There were, there were very prominent media people who literally went after me uh, for having, for having written a piece challenging what the Astros were doing. And, and, um, I'm really, really proud of the fact that as a young beat writer in 2014, I was willing to ask questions about the Astros culture uh, and that I didn't back away from that. And I, I think there there's, I hope there's been a little bit of a change in people's lens to not just the book is titled winning fixes everything. <laughs> Everything we we write and talk about baseball is usually in the context of winning. Why are we talking about the Astros and Red Sox right now? Because they're winning, right? But what comes along with those with that winning, and what are the methods to win, and what impacts do they have on the stakeholders, the players, the agents, the fans? Um, a lot of that got drowned out by a mentality for a long time of well, if we win the game and we win a World Series. None of the rest of it matters. Well, the Astros are, are the example of a situation where it did matter. And maybe 99 out of 100, it wouldn't matter. But in Houston, it did. All right. One more thing, because it's a busy time of year. Um, Evan, you cover the baseball labor beat yeah. for the athletic. I've had that beat. It's a laugh a minute. <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a hugely important beat right now because the the labor deal in this sport expires in like seven weeks. We'll have lots more time to talk to you about this in the months ahead. But give us your prediction on how this labor showdown plays out. Uh, I'm I'm guessing you expect it to all go pretty smoothly, huh? Oh yeah, no, yeah. just just uh, yeah. just boats rowing along. Uh, the the predominant thing I hear from people who would have some sense of how these things could go or should go or would go is there will be a lockout. If there is a lockout on December 1st, which is when the CBA expires, that doesn't mean that 
there will be any games missed. You can have a lockout in December and January and it'll freeze free agency and that the winter will be weird and there'll be a lot of uh, angry back and forth. It gets real when you hit a time when games have to be played. So whether that's the start of spring training or if it really dragged on the start of uh, the regular season, that's when it gets really serious uh, because that's when people start to miss paychecks, both the players and the owners. The owners don't have uh, a game to hold. So the days of a strike are gone uh, after 94. You're, you're not going to see a situation where owners are going to let a strike happen. They will lock out the players before a strike can happen. So come December, you might have a lockout. And then that's where the mystery uh, starts to unfold. How long does it last? All right. Not, we should have like a pool. Pick the date when the lockout ends. Uh, I am going to go with January 28th. Oh, wow. What do you got? You guys, is that, we'll set that as the over-under. You guys going over or under? Uh, or I'll go later than that. I'll later go, than that. Yeah, like l- closer to opening day. What do you think, Evan? Um, I'm going to go a little earlier because I, I, I don't, you know, to this point, everything's been so quiet and there's so much money at stake um, that I just wonder if either side is going to have the drumbeat necessary to hold it out. Are they really going to have the the resolve, the owners coming off the pandemic? I mean, the players coming off the pandemic, too. Um, you know, in 94, you had that one issue that, that players really could point to, the salary cap. We're not going to allow a salary cap. This time around, it's, it's more of a collection of issues. Um, but, you know, ask me in late November, and maybe, the, maybe my tone has changed. <laughs> I will ask you in late November, I promise. Uh, hey, Evan, um, great insights, my friend. We always love inviting you to join us here in the Starkville Town Square. Uh, keep up the fabulous work. Keep us posted on that book. And have a fun winter covering those labor talks. Fun is the operative word. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Jason. (laughs) Okay, we have reached the host humiliation portion of this podcast. It's time once again for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Week after week, Despite all the massive embarrassment that it heaps upon us, we continue to literally involve you by picking a trivia question from one of our lucky listeners, and then we invite the lucky listener to join us right here to stump us with their trivia question. We'll tell you how you can be next in line to do that in just a few minutes. Uh, But first, let me ask, Doug, why do we keep doing this? Seriously, like, why are we such gluttons for punishment? Well, I think we somewhere in Starkville, we believe we found the invincibility cape. And uh, I think we're just wearing it around, assuming nothing will happen. So I figured we'd just keep going. Invincibility cape. We have to market that. (laughs) Uh, Look, before we bring in this week's special trivia guest star, I want to pose an idea. Um, I've been hinting about this for a couple weeks it came from uh, Ken Krasalovich. Uh, he was here a few weeks ago. He stumped us <laughs> with one of his trivia questions. Uh, Ken's an old friend. He had a suggestion for us, and it went kind of like this. Why don't we occasionally employ the old 
who mm-hmm. wants to be a millionaire strategy? Oh, and if we're really money. stumped by a question, <laughs> we can phone a friend. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I, I like this. That's interesting. That's very podcastable. Right. Then if we get along, <laughs> at least we drag somebody else into it. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, like Fred Lynn. Remember Fred Lynn jumped in there? He did. Was- <laughs> yeah, he did. He just injected himself into our trivia debacle. Um all right, look, we just need a, a roster of really smart friends, hopefully with their baseball reference pages is open when we call. <laughs> so let's think about it. Uh, that, that'll be a topic for another show. Uh, right now, let's welcome back this week's special trivia consultant. He's been here before. It's Yisroel Picker. Yisroel, welcome back to Starkville. Thanks for having me a second time. It's a pleasure to be reinvited. Yeah. Now, I don't remember quite when you were here before. I think sometime earlier this season. I, I'm pretty sure I do remember that you were in Jerusalem, though. Am I right about that? Yep. In Jerusalem. Still in Jerusalem. I had stumped you on the father-son trivia back with uh, oh, yeah. Tatis. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Good one. Yeah. Good one. Uh, all right. Well, I'm glad the international reach of Starkville continues to extend all the way to Jerusalem. Um <laughs> Now, as you know, we send out these requests for trivia every week. I, I don't really keep track of this stuff, but I'm going to guess that no one has submitted more trivia questions for this segment here in the year 2021 than you, Yisrael. <laughs> we should just give you your own trivia segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, how uh, does a guy from Jerusalem develop that much passion for baseball trivia? Uh, winning prizes and wanting more. Evan, if you wouldn't mind, <laughs> I, would be, I had have it as a backup. One yep. back in the day on different radio shows, and uh, you guys are the uh, the pinnacle here. <laughs> really? Well, it's only, well, it's certainly better than losing prizes and still wanting more, which is uh, kind of our case here. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if we're the pinnacle, where's the bottom of the canyon? Because <laughs> we get them wrong every week. So let's get this one wrong, too. From anywhere in the world, we can get the questions wrong. So, Yisroel, what is your trivia question? Okay. Uh, this one actually sounds like uh, some of your t- like one of your tweets. Yeah. There are six players in the 500 home run club who have hit 200 or more home runs with two different franchises. Name the six. Hmm. So we need six answers? What yeah, could possibly it. go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, no credit. It's all or nothing. Yeah. You know, I, 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 that's our problem. <laughs> I, 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 I thought about this for a few minutes before the show, Doug, and I, I think my problem is, like, unlike most weeks, I came up with way too many answers that seemed right. Uh, so let, let's start with a few I'm almost sure are right. Mm-hmm. Barry Bonds has to be right. Mm-hmm. A-Rod, mm-hmm. Griffey, mm-hmm. Pujols. Mm-hmm. I feel like they, they've got to be right. I, I like it. I, I they like might it. not be, but I, they feel right. So now here are some of the other possibilities that I wrote down. Okay. Miggy, Marlins Tigers. F- Frank Robinson. Um Reds, mm-hmm. Orioles, Mark yep. McGuire, Orioles, Cardinals, Jim Tomei, Indians, and somebody, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Rafael Palmero, Rangers, and Cubs or Orioles, who the, who the heck knows? Um, yep. We need two out of that group. There's also like the Jimmy Fox might be a possibility. I, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. So, Doug, what do you think there? Okay, yeah, I'm just sort of jotting this down as you... All right, so, yeah, well, I'm with you on Pujols, Bonds, 
A-Rod Griffey. I like that. I feel good. So that's four right there. (laughs) Palmero, I don't don't know. I felt like he didn't have enough somewhere else besides Texas. That's Mm -hmm. my first thought. But like, did Reggie Jackson, I thought he bounced around. I thought about him. Yeah. Too much bouncing. Yeah, too much bouncing. I think that's uh, what did Babe Ruth? How long was he with Boston? He was mostly a pitcher. Right? He wasn't. Yeah. He didn't start hitting 50, 60 homers a year until he got to New York. So okay. he, it's not possible he got to two hundred. Okay, cool. So uh, Frank Miggy. Well, I had McGuire. I assume A's Cardinals. I mean, where else did he play? Uh, nowhere. But uh, let's see. Did now. he have enough? He got and- to the. He got to the Cardinals in ninety. Seven, right? So then he had only yeah, 98, 99, a lot of homers. Um, but then his his knees went on him. I, I don't think he got to 200 with the Cardinals. Is my That's just my guess. But there are a lot in, a, in two years, right? So Wait, but, it's not impossible. Oh, the, well, he's saying with the, the Cardinals, yeah, he was hurt. Yes. Yeah, well, he had 70 in a year. <laughs> right. <laughs> And he had Man. 57 or something, 56, Ooh, the other uh, full season. Hit a bunch after he got traded there. So now we're at one, at least 150, but I don't think there's enough beyond that. Okay. All right. Let's take him off. So we have, then we're left with Tomei. So which teams? Cleveland, obviously, and then. Yeah, Philly, too many teams after that. Twins. Philly, it's, Philly's not long enough. White Sox, not long enough. I don't, I don't. Think it? Yeah. I don't think that works. All right. What about Frank? That's that's a pretty good guess. Frank Robinson, isn't it? Yep. I like it. I'm putting okay, it. Let, okay. I think we should go with that. All right. So we have who's left? Miggy. Miggy. When did he get to Detroit? Okay, he got all right. He, he two thousand three is his first year in Miami. He's twenty years old. And then he, he gets played, to he played Detroit. ten years. In, in in Miami, no chance. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's probably sure. trivia in on the Miami side. Oh, Miami, they? yeah. I don't. I, I don't think he don't was there long enough. That, that was an answer. Um, but he's well, a good guess. He's a great guess. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, Reggie, we said he bounced around. I don't know. I mean, so well, let's think five hundred club. What McCovey, Aaron. I mean, so it's like the Braves and the Braves and the Brewers. I mean, are we? We're not wasn't dis- a brewer long enough. Or we're not distinguishing. Uh, what you know? Who else? Like Mel Ott? You know, Ralph Kiner. What about him? Where is he? He played see. Pittsburgh. Most of those were in Pittsburgh. Daryl Evans. Where did he play? Did he play? Daryl Evans didn't hit five hundred. Good try. Oh, good try. All right, uh, we can't spend usual? twenty minutes on this. Usual. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great guest. <laughs> Forever. Never di- didn't uh, didn't hit five hundred. <laughs> And uh, didn't play for any other team. <laughs> had the same locker for 25 years. Um, All right, we're on the 30 second. We have 30 seconds. We were told yeah. by by the mayor. Y- yeah, play the play the Jeopardy music. Let's, uh, let's do this. I don't even Frank Robinson else. and I would say McGuire or Miggy, but I'm sure we're wrong. Oh man, Miggy! Gosh, he only played for two teams though. I tell you. All right. All right. Well. All right, I, I, I'm going to go, let's see, McGuire. Right, we feel like he was hurt. He probably had like 201. This is what's going to kill us. <laughs> I know. All right. It's going to be really close. So all right, we go, let's go uh, Miggy, as I say. Cause okay. I don't. All right. All right. So, so Israel, you probably know how this works. Uh, <laughs> we no doubt mentioned the correct answer just now. <laughs> 
We also, no doubt, just talked ourselves out of the correct answer. So we might as well just get it over with. Is there any chance that it's Bonds, A-Rod, Griffey, Pujols, Frank Robinson, and we're going McGuire, Doug? McGuire. Did we go okay. McGuire or Miguel? I think we said Miguel Cabrera. Are we, we are? Go, can we, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. We, you want to flip I, a coin? No. Who do you, you feel better at? That's, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 70 home runs, 50. He didn't hit another 50? No, but he hit a like he, he might have hit 30 after he got traded there that year, but it, it's still yeah. not enough. That's still only 150, and then he All was right. hurt. Miguel. All right, let's go Miguel Cabrera. Miggy? Okay. Yeah. That's our that's our final answer. That's it. You guys got two out of the six. <laughs> two? Two. <laughs> two. Oh, you did, got we, we had a, did we mention the other four? Yeah, that you mentioned a few of them. There was one Reggie that you totally Dyson. missed. No, it wasn't. Okay, so it's, right. the ones that you got were Pujols and Griffey. Okay. okay, not A Rod. Not A Rod, because wow. he split it between Texas and Seattle. Oh, yeah, not Bonds, bad. and not Bonds. He didn't hit enough in Pittsburgh. Wow! All right, that's good. Ooh, so what's left? I mean, so, not Frank look, Robinson, and not Frank Robinson, and not Miggy. Really? Miggy didn't hit enough must, in uh, Miami. Must be some. It must be some sleeper like Reggie Sanders or something. No, no, no. Uh, so <laughs> Pujols, McGuire. Yep. Okay. Rafi Palmero, who you mentioned. All right. Pumano, Jimmy Fox, who you mentioned. Jimmy Fox? I certainly didn't mention. Uh, I'll take it. Griffey Jr., okay. who you mentioned. And the one you didn't mention was Manny Ramirez. Ah, oh, Manny. Uh, oh, Cleveland and Boston. Right. Sorry. So wait. Yeah. Okay. So what were, the, what were the six again now? The Say six that were right. You just, you just mentioned a bunch of names. So the six that were right were Albert Pujols. Got that. Mark McGuire. Mm hmm. Rafael Palmero. We should have got that. Doug talked me out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I did. Jimmy Fox. Right. Manny Ramirez and Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, we had Jr. too. Okay. All right. Well. Wow. <laughs> Impressive. I, I, I can't believe that we did this again, Doug. Uh, you know, we. Well, I feel again, better when we get two as opposed to five, actually. I feel better. Yeah, but still, we, like, we should have we gotten this. We found a way to not get this. <laughs> My theory was we were going to rise to the moment in October, but obviously not. So regular season record, pathetic, five and twenty-one. Postseason record, zero oh and one. Nobody's going to call us Mister October. No, no, if no. We keep no. this up. We're gonna, we're well, gonna, we're gonna win it though. Three in a row. We are good we're to coming. hear. Uh, look, if you listen regularly, you know whether we get the question right, haha, or wrong. We still bring in our acting mayor, Cameron Molina to liven up these festivities by playing some classic play-by-play -play clip involving this week's question. So, Mayor Cam, what have you this week, my friend? Well, um, you know, the story pastime of Jason talking Doug out of an answer, Doug talking Jason <laughs> out of an answer, it never ceases to get old. Look, we'll liven things up by honoring the kid. There were so many legends mentioned on that list. But listen, this soundbite ain't no child's play. April 9th, 2000, <laughs> versus the Cubs. Ken Griffey Jr.'s 399th career homer and his very first as the Cincinnati Red. The 2-0 delivery. Swung on, fly ball, deep right field. Jr. has homered for the first time as a Red. He turns around, a 2-0 pitch from Scott Downs and drills it over the wall and right. Barry Larkin will score ahead of him, and as he rounds third and 
gets a glad hand from Ronnie Oster. Maybe the monkey is finally off his back. <laughs> hey, that was fun. That was Marty Brenneman. That was great to hear him. Uh, Yisrael, always great to have you join us from across the sea. Uh, yeah. Keep those fun questions coming, and uh, we'll get back to you when we just give up and give you your own trivia segment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Looking forward, guys. Love the podcast. <laughs> hey, keep up the great work. Strange but true. All right. It's one of our favorite parts of this show. It's the part where we look back at the strangest but truest stuff that happened since we joined you last. And even though it's October, fortunately, baseball seems to be just as strange as ever. So uh, I want to start with a play from Sunday night in Chicago that got Doug Glanville's juices flowing. <laughs> this plays right into Doug's number one pet peeve about the rules of baseball. You're going to hear all about it. But before we let Doug rant, uh, let's listen to this. This is Sunday night, runner on third, Yasmani Grandal of the White Sox at the dish. Bouncing ball to the right side. They're coming home with it. The throw is away from the catcher, Maldonado. Tom Hallion got taken out by Robert. Abreu goes in the third. The ball hit the runner. Grandal was inside the line. The throw home hit the runner. He was inside the line, and the ball hit him when Gurriel threw it home. So here's Grandal's the play. Grandal's way inside. Like, I mean, he's crazy inside the baseline right here. Like, he's in the grass, doesn't get out of the way. The ball hits him, and then Luis Roberts sliding in and just takes out Tom Hallion at the plate. Oh, so the throw hit the runner between home and first. Obviously, he was out of the running lane. Uh, <laughs> where was he? Doug, your thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, this is what's so glorious about this play. It actually just furthers my case on eliminating the running lane. And I, and, I, and I know it sounds backwards, but this is this is why. Now, the running lane starts 45 feet down the line. So it actually, there is no lane between home and halfway. So he wasn't really out of the running lane because they give you some time to establish to get to the lane. So that, to you know, to sort of Grandal's defense. Now, I ran on the grass all the time, by the way. Mostly almost all the way down to first base because as a right-handed hitter, you go direct diagonally directly to the base. The straight line is nowhere near foul territory. So, but you know, that's neither here nor there. So, <laughs> so with Grandal, he was, once the ball was fielded and now they're going home, now it's almost like a 3 6 3 double play. If you're a runner at first and there's a ground ball at first and you're going to second as the runner and the first baseman now has to figure out how to throw over you, around you, whatever. If he hits you in the back, that's on him. Just like a, a right fielder throwing and trying to get a runner at third, going from second to third, the ball hits him in the back. That's on you. So once you have established your lane and your right, so to speak, the fielder has to throw around you. That's the, their job. To my point, which is why the running lane is also ridiculous, because these are major league defenders. It's your job to make the throw. Why is it? Why should I bail you out for making a throw that takes the first baseman into the line, and all of a sudden I magically have to go from foul territory to fair territory, especially as a righty when you start in fair territory? So that being said. I think that what they did is they got the right call. There was the absolute right call. And it's the job of the first baseman, Goriel, to make a better throw. He didn't, and it cost the Astros. So why not have the same standard around first base? As long as someone's not intentionally throwing their elbow or getting in the way, uh, <laughs> hey, fair game. So, I, so that's game. how I feel. All right. I, see, I just want to 
take what you just said and let's think it through. Yasmani Grandal, on his way to first, <laughs> ran inside the line. What did what did AJ say? Crazy on the grass. Crazy on the grass. Got in the way of the first baseman's throw to the plate, and the umpire said, "Hey, no worries, that's cool." <laughs> right. But if he had taken the very same route uh, when he when the throw was heading in reverse from yeah. the catcher to first base, and the throw hit him, he'd have been out. For violating the runner's lane. Doug, this seems perfectly logical, don't you think? <laughs> well, the, the only part I'd add to that is he, the, he got hit. He probably was like 25 feet from home. I mean, he, he was not even halfway <laughs> and when he got hit, which was all, all the more ridiculous. So I don't know. The lane doesn't start for 45 feet, so I don't even know if the running lane would apply. There is no lane. But, yeah, but you get my point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's right, which is exactly my point as why – it's yeah. absurd. Like you got to go kind of one way or the other, but I just think you just get rid of it altogether. Yeah, it's a, it, it just like the, the 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 rule from Fenway that we talked about it earlier in the show, where some of these rules, I, like I don't know when, what century they were placed in the rule book. <laughs> time to do a rewrite, okay? Just time. Uh, all right, one more thing on I, I, I on also Sunday night <laughs> there was something. That happened that you found hilarious. <laughs> I found hilarious. Like normal people out there, they don't care. But we live for this stuff. We're going to listen to what happened and then we'll tell the backstory. Mostly, Leori Garcia sends one a deep center field and the Red Sox have taken the lead in game three. That was Leori Garcia. He hit a home run over the center field fence. It was a really big home run. Yep. We don't care about any of that. <laughs> Here, here's the part that we got all worked up about. Glanville texting me furiously as this is going down. Uh, we the, 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 It's the third inning. Uh, we have like our favorite thing. Garcia pitching to Garcia. That's Luis to Leuri. Then in the middle of the at-bat, because it's 2-0, and oh, Garcia is replaced by who, Doug? Garcia. <laughs> Luis is replaced by Yimi. Now, Garcia then gives up a home run to Garcia. In this case, Yimi to Lee Yuri. So we just have Garcias everywhere. Everywhere. And all right, Doug, try to explain to America why this is funny. <laughs> If I could compose myself on that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, I was watching this live, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Dusty Baker's going out. Who's he going to bring in? I was like, wait a minute. Garcia's in the bullpen. Garcia might actually replace Garcia to face Garcia. So this is a, a very contentious family reunion issue, clearly. Or it, it's like the greatest, you know, I haven't seen my relatives in a while. I want to come together, and all the Garcias find each other in a very happy delivery of, of love. The Garcias got together and just chaos ensued. So I, I, I didn't know where to go with this, you know, but I, I just appreciate that we could have all these Garcias come together in one place yeah. and you know, celebrate. As, yeah. I, like as, as we've mentioned a, a few billion times on this show, like I've become that guy, you know, stuff like this happens. Everybody just feels compelled to alert me. <laughs> that madness has just broken out. I was actually at that point, I was busy trying to uh, figure out what had just happened in Boston. 
And I wasn't really locked in on that game. Like Twitter, America, my friends, Glanville, they weren't having any of that. I needed to stop what I was thinking about and think about all the Garcias in the world. And so there was all this t- stuff going on in Twitter. And um, so one of the questions that was posed was, was Leury Garcia, the first Garcia in history to face two Garcias in one trip to the plate. And I didn't personally track this one down, but our friend Doug Colonels Kern, who we used to both work with at ESPN's uh, Stats and Info Group, uh, he looked into it. Uh, I've been there. He spent too much time with this, but he found about 30 games in history where more than one Garcia pitched. But you know what was missing from all those games? There was no third Garcia come to the plate. So we know. This was history, Doug. It was Garcia history, the first time ever that two Garcias faced one Garcia in the same at bat. Like, I'm just, I've got goosebumps even talking about it. Oh, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. I love it. I love it. All you Garcias out there, thank you very much. Yep. Uh, I hope more more are coming, and one day maybe we have a lineup of all Garcias. Yeah, we should have brought in, brought in like Kiko Garcia to narrate this whole thing. But that is going to do it for this week's show. We've been here every Tuesday all season long as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. I promise we'll be making more podcast magic throughout this postseason. But so will Ken Rosenthal and Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby and Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. So stay with us all postseason long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you go to find podcast entertainment. And don't forget, you can still find us absolutely ad-free at the Athletic app. So if you like what you hear, we would greatly appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us one of those five-star reviews. We've had a bunch of those, thanks to everyone who has already done that. If you'd like to read our work or any of the fantastic writing on our site, there's no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you thought about subscribing, just go to the athletic.com slash baseball show. You can subscribe for 50% off So check us out. You'll be happy that you did. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week, we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here and prove once again, there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong, no matter where you are. Uh, To do that, you can email us at starkville at theathletic.com or there's always the Twitter route if somebody were going to go down that Twitter route and send a question to Doug Landville, how does that work, Doug? Well, I, I'm tempted to put a Garcia in this one, but I will, um, <laughs> I'll, def- I'll refrain. It is at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Yep, and I am at Jason S-T, that is J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Please remember to hashtag the questions, hashtag StarkvilleQS. All right, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Evan Drellick for visiting us. Thanks to Yisrael Picker for the fun trivia question. Thanks to the acting mayor of Starkville, Cameron Molina, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next week on Starkville. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.